I'm John Hall, and this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Garrett Marrero of the Maui Brewing Company. Is like if you look at the pie of craft beer drinkers, um, it's very different than it was five minutes ago. So you have an audience that is shrinking, really, in terms of beer. So you, this pie that we all talk about, the pie is getting smaller, and the slices of that pie are getting smaller because there's so many new breweries. Yeah, um, there are a lot of 21 year old and up drinkers who are never going to beer. This episode is brought to you by Deschutes Brewery. Extra time, craft, and passion are parts of every Deschutes beer, including fresh-squeezed IPA. Available all year round, fresh-squeezed IPA is full of juicy citrus and grapefruit flavors, as if fresh citra and mosaic hops were squeezed straight into every bottle. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to DeschutesBrewery.com to find their beer near you. This podcast is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Hi, I'm John Hall, and this is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. A few weeks ago... During the Great American Beer Festival, I had a chance to sit down with Garrett Marrero, the CEO of Maui Brewing Company. We talked about his brewery on the island of Maui. We talked about how he's really become a beverage company over time. Not just beer anymore, but he's also making coffee and spirits and now canned cocktails and even hard seltzer. It's a natural evolution for a lot of brewers in the beer industry today, and it's a role that Garrett has really taken on with a lot of gusto. Over the years, he's worked as a brewer, he's worked as a keg washer, he's worked at basically every job that his once small brewery offered. And these days, he goes by CEO, which is a title that he never thought that he was going to have. And so I thought that was a natural conversation starter of how he eventually wound up with that title. Here's our conversation. No, I think I got the CEO title after we built the Kihei Brewery. Uh, it was like we, we, we were hiring our first CFO and um, Melanie and I looked at each other and we're like, well, what are, what are we? And so I took CEO, she took COO because it was more appropriate for what we each did in the company. Um, but honestly, both of us just, we just did what it took to get where we are. So it was never a, uh, it was never title driven. I'm well, sure, totally no. anti-title. Okay. Yeah. But, but they're necessary these days, right? Because it, 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 the whole nature of beer has changed where it isn't necessarily this bootstrapping organization anymore or even industry these days. I mean, the, the, the idea of thinking about Ken Grossman and Paul Camusi in those early days were, you know, Paul Camusi, sorry, uh, in those early days were, were of, you know, two guys, they got a couple of bucks together, they kind of well, bootstrapped. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, the old Jack McAuliffe days, things like that. But like these days, like it is, it's, it's real business. And real you have business. how many employees? Uh, so on the brewery, Roughly. about 50, uh, but in total, almost 800. Uh, between the four restaurants in Hawaii. So uh, restaurants, of course, and notoriously just a huge amount of uh, man hours, person hours, I should say. All right. So let's talk about the evolution then of when you first started and you didn't have... Anything. Or, or, yeah, you didn't have a title. Um, You know, you had a, a... 
you know, the, the, the small brew pub, uh, yeah. as it were, to, to, to what it is today and the title that you now carry. What was the progression from then to now? So uh, coming up on 15 years, January will be 15 years for us. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I was a 26-year-old man. And like like any 26-year-old, I could do no wrong. I was infallible. And I don't know invincible. if it's fair to call 26-year-old men. Like, it, it's yeah. just like we were, like all, we were all shrimp. stupid at yeah, that know, age. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we thought we knew more than we did. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would believe me. My 41, almost next week I'll be 41, <laughs> and my 41-year-old self would kick my 26-year-old self's ass a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> Ditto, yeah. It's crazy to think about how things have changed. But, you know, when we started, it was just do what it takes to be successful. And it was just nose down, nose to the grindstone, like busted out every day. And um, Melanie, my wife, my ex-wife, unfortunately now, and I um, just did what it took to make ourselves successful. We, we took a, put a lot of weight on our shoulders, the fact that our family had invested with us, and then we took all our money and put it into that. We were dating at the time, and we started this brewery. So there were no titles because it was dishwasher it was bartender it was brewer it was delivery driver it was canner it was whatever you all the titles we have today um we just did what was necessary and we were two ships passing in the night just to make it happen um and you you talked about titles and it's interesting i've found that the titles are so much more important to your team uh and they should be more important to your team than they are to you like ceo doesn't mean shit and everybody always says, you know, shit rolls downhill. Yeah. It is not true. It goes the other way. It you goes uphill. So? Absolutely. And, and that should be that way. It's right. our job uh, in leadership to make sure that our team has the tools they need, has a positive workplace, and that we handle all the stuff that comes our way because of outside forces. Right. So we need to create that atmosphere for our team. Um, I am not title driven, but they really need to feel this sense of ownership in their job the title means something to them where i think when you're in leadership the title should mean absolutely nothing to you in a way it's almost giving them something to strive for as well absolutely yeah i mean you have a brand ambassador who wants to be a market manager who then wants to be a sales manager who then wants to be a district manager the job is generally the same but it just moves up in responsibility, right? So there's this recognition from the title standpoint. And, and I see that. But ultimately, uh, Melanie and I would, and all, our, all, all C-level staff at the brewery now, there's three of us, we would all agree that our job is to support that team. It doesn't work the other way. Yeah. And you'll hear me, and I, I know you've, even on our interviews before, you've heard me say where, you know, there's, you know, you've met people that work with me and they say, oh, I work for Garrett. And I always correct them. Like, well, I work with right. this person. And I think that's very important because it, it's, it's subtle, but it's an important distinction that we work with each other to do the job. I, I, and that gives, I think, employees, and I've worked in places where it's been both ways, where mm-hmm. I've had bosses who say, uh, we work together mm-hmm. or, you know, like you work for me, like yeah. that kind of thing. And, and there definitely is... The psyche thing that happens as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious though on, so in those early days when you were everything, when you were the keg washer and the brewer and 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 doing all of these types of things, you get to a certain point, and I think this is where some folks get really hung up of when to let go 
of previous responsibilities and you know, you've obviously hired somebody to now do the brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've have, you've hired somebody to do the keg washing, to do the marketing managing, you know, all of these all of these things. Mm-hmm. But you've done them. It's your company that you founded. It's your you know baby as it as it as it were. And to sure. sort of let that go to somebody else, there's a level of trust that exists. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this sort of trepidation of. Uh, I've talked to brewers who have like walked into brew houses, uh, you know, at a brewery that they've owned for for five years, and they start to do something, and the head brewer comes running over and says, "You, you don't don't, don't touch, touch that." that. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. like, oh, "This is my brewery. This is how yeah, we do it." Like, yeah. We haven't done it that way since you walked out of the door, and exactly. we do it differently now. As soon as the door hits you on the butt, we change that. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, and and it's and it's probably here's why. For, and it, yeah. exactly, yeah. and he, and it's the here's why conversation. Yeah. What do you hit in your brain, in your mind, to get to that point of like, okay, it's time to shed the skin and pass yeah. the mantle, whatever metaphor I can throw in here. I got to say, I mean, uh, <laughs> if I could figure that out, um, every CEO or C-level or want-to-be C-level person, would that would be like the holy grail if I could tell you the answer to that. Um you know, for me, it was just realizing that I was doing so many things that there's no way I could do them all well. And everybody who does those jobs today do them far better than I ever did. And this is why I view my role as supportive for all of them. Kim, in as the brewmaster, way better at brewing beer than I fucking ever was. Sure, right? of course. And I remember her walking into the brewery the first time, and the first question I asked her was like, she was. She came in for an interview. She'd emailed me and she says, "Hey, I'd, I'd really. I'm moving to Hawaii and I want to. I want to work at a brewery." Came from the wine industry. I was like, "Well, just when you get here, come see me." And I'm brewing. It was my first hundred barrel transfer of Bikini Blonde, and I remember looking at her come in the door. She's like, "Hey, I'm Kim. I emailed you." I was like, "Whoa, uh, can you pick up that bag of grain?" Because it was just. She's so small. She's this tiny little thing, and I'm like, "Can you pick up that bag of grain?" And she just you know, like clean and jerk to this thing. And I was like, all right, cool. Help me with this transfer. Cause I was literally figuring it out as I go. And she has now uh, become our brewmaster after leaving us for a stint to start a brewery in California. She was with us for four years, left for four. Now she's back. And, Where'd she uh, start? Where'd she go? She went to uh, St. Archer. Oh, and, okay. Uh, of course, when they sold, um, you know, she called me up and, you know, obviously after her contract. That's part of the Miller Coors acquisition. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, I love to give a shit about it. Uh, but her and Yiga and the team made some amazing beers while they were there, and that's why they were acquired. They, you know, it was awesome. Uh, but she's back with us as brewmaster, and I look at her time away from us as her college years. Um, her and I are best of friends, and I look at her as everything that is Maui Brewing Company, just you know, like the rest of the team. And like I said, they just do the job better than I ever could, yeah. and it's why I view my job as a supportive role to all of the team to make sure not only that they have the tools, but they're in a safe and positive workplace, um, which I got to be honest, is an increasingly difficult thing in this world that is now beer. How so? Well, it used to not be business. I mean, when we first started, I mean, God, when we met, yeah. shit, I was, like I said, I was 26. I'm That's a better part of a decade ago. Week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it was, it was just, we just made beer because we loved it and we thought maybe we could make a buck. Um, but we just had fun and there were 1200 breweries in the country and there were 10 <laughs> canning. We were the 10th. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was rare to find as, a beer. As soul canners. Yeah, you mean. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was a, it was rare to find a beer that you wouldn't drink. Yeah. 
And fast forward to today, 8,000 breweries, two new ones opening up every day, a lot of capital invested to try and make a buck, and a lot of shitty fucking beer. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that, and I, I think that you, I think as we've morphed over 15 years, which it's crazy because I feel like a grandpa sometimes when I'm like, no, milkshake, glitter, blue IPA. Are you against like, those I, beers? No, I, what's that? Are you against those beers? I'm not against any creativity. I, I think, uh, you know, if it's if someone wants to drink them, fuck, you know, and you want to make them, great. But I just, there are certain beers that I just, I'm never going to feel like that is what I want to drink. Like, And I still have a hard time with hazies. I had a... I had a hazy pale a couple days ago, and I was—I I, just—I couldn't drink it. I just undrinkable beer. And if uh, you—if you had your eyes closed, do you think you would have been like you'd be able to tell? I, is, I, is it a visual definitely. thing? Definitely. Okay, that definitely. one. Okay. That one definitely. But um, you know, I've had some amazing hazies. I, yeah. I mean, uh, Marsh Island, Maine. Two super small brewery um, that is making some really nice. Uh, I, I prefer more the pale and IPA styles that they're making hazy. Yeah. Uh, but their brewer makes fantastic uh, lager beer as well. So I've really enjoyed that. Uh, I've had, you know, beer from Wild Heaven in Georgia, which is a super tiny brewery, but they make a 3.5% pub ale that's like a, an English bitter that throws me back to 15 years ago, yeah. beer I just wanted to crush. Um, that's a bond place for me out in Bethlehem. Yeah, oh yeah. 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 They just do a, a beautiful ESB. That's just, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. And then, so for me, beer has changed so much because I've definitely, I used to be this, you know, make IPA clear again. I was like very against it, <laughs> but I've, I've come around to the point where it's like, you know, I, uh, I think Sam actually once called it like, uh, like Reinheitsgebot was, uh, you know, basically artistic. You're, you're talking right? Sam Calagione of the Boston Beer Company. Of course. Yes. Well, and of course, and Dogfish, Dogfish prior. Yeah. No, I think I'm... when he said it, it was Dogfish. <laughs> but yeah, well, well played. I just like giving him shit. Of course, of course. Um, you know, and uh, and he uh, doesn't care. No, of course. No. And I think the artistic censorship, if you will, that is Reinheitsgebot, it would be inappropriate for us to um, to try and rein that in a little bit because so the next great beer is going to come from that creativity. Now, to me, that's definitely not an IPA that's, you know, Smurf blue with glitter and I can't see through it and I don't, I don't, I don't I fucking, I don't even know, but that's not that beer to me. But you know what? If it creates more drinking opportunities for uh, craft beer and it brings people into the fold, then hopefully they graduate to, I don't know, just an amazing fucking Pilsner. You know, that that would I be mean, amazing. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that's my hope as well. But at the same time, you and I came up at the same time and of, are of a generation where, like, I think we do have a little bit of the get off my lawn uh, type, th type thing that exists. So, like, I make it a point to, to drink the glitter beers, to drink the, you know, the Smurf Blue. Um, and, and, and I really try hard, especially having been a beer judge and, mm -hmm. you know, impartial reviewer and all of that of trying to give these things a fair shake. And of I course. think a lot of the time, uh, even on steal this beer, the other podcast, you know, we're able to drink blind. And sometimes like there's things where it's like, Oh, I probably wouldn't have picked that off of the shelf sure. and, and, and gone from there. But so much of what you just said, I want to, I want to try to unpack because when we talk about trying to grow craft beer, I think that's been one of the hardest challenges as we head into 2020 mm -hmm. that has existed for the last decade, decade plus. I remember uh, Kim Jordan of New Belgium years ago got up and said, uh, you know, we're going to hit 20% of the marketplace by 2020. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. We're, we're just over 13% uh, uh, for craft beer right now. Although I'd be interested to see what those numbers are with the uh, acquisitions, had they not happened. 
Sure. Right. But but you know, can't there's no crystal ball. Yeah, no, and yeah. there's no crystal ball, but there's I, also I think like in fairness to voodoo Kim, math is, you know, yeah. yeah. In fairness to Kim, it's uh all things being equal at this time, yeah. I, I think we would have hit it. You think so if the big guys didn't get into it? Fuck, what's uh, Lagunitas going to do this year? Sure. What's half a, half a minute, yeah. going to do? I mean, obviously a lot less than they used to do. Uh, but, you know, a lot. Wow. I mean, wow. Know. The schadenfreude coming <laughs> off of you yeah, right yeah. now is well, just. Well, you know, hey, I, I, left, I left the Falling Rock a few hours ago, so you know how it goes. Um, and here we are back here on a Thursday morning uh, yeah. uh, in the basement of Falling Rock. Um, but. I, I'm not trying to, to, to give Kraft a hard time, but what, I, what I've seen a lot of the time is that, that it's Kraft talking to Kraft mm-hmm. and that it's been tough to get the the larger to, – to get a toehold in on the larger players. And, and I think that one of the ways of doing it is through diversity of products. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that most fascinates me about what Maui is doing these mm-hmm. days of – you know, you have coffee now, and you have canned cocktails. Are you doing a Are you doing a hard seltzer? Yep, uh, it's coming out. Uh, Maui hard seltzer comes out uh, later this year. Actually, we're launching at Xterra uh, in end of October. So, you have to though, right? Because it, it's it's no longer enough to just be a beer maker, mm-hmm. like 15 years ago when you got into it, and you're like, hey, here's our Blondale, and I loved your Blondale. I mean, yeah. it's you know, it, it's uh, somebody once described it to me as an Uber Hellas. Yeah. And, you know, but like, you know, which is weird for an ale, but like, is it a lager? It's a lager beer. It is a lager lager beer. Uh, There was a point where we actually went with an ale yeast that was the HP lagers essentially, you know, fermented like like an ale. Yeah. Um, But it is very much uh, the um, Augustino Hellas. Uh, yeast nowadays. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I drank the hell out of it when I visited Maui with my wife uh, years ago, yeah. and just you know loved it, and you know wish that I could get it closer closer sure. to home. But it the also Blonde's a beautiful beer. But yeah. it's a fun beer that exists on the islands. Yeah, and well, and I know well, you're in other states as well. But it's it's yeah. a beer that was, and and this sort of gets back to what I wanted to talk about of you know hazy IPA or glitter or blue or things like that. Like you could probably sell that to a lot of the tourists who come in, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily representative visually a lot of ways of what we think of when it comes to craft beer yeah. or no I, I even mean like your locale oh sure sure you yeah. know like your locale like like something that like you know looks and fits in with the surroundings that it's inspired it's 96 by. you're sitting on the beach in yeah. Wailea what feels right cloudy hazy IPA or a nice bright Hellas lager sure it's just because it's, you know, it's, it's a visual thing it goes back to being a visual absolutely thing. Well, and, and let's, I mean, let's talk about yeah. lager. I mean, 10 years ago, who was making lagers, right? Who wanted to drink lagers? You know, I got so much shit from my friends who are still my friends to this day. And, I, and when I say shit, it was like just, you know, they'd razz on you because it's like, oh, you should just be making double IPAs and triple IPAs. And I'm like, guys, I'm Hawaii. It's right. 95 out. We're going golfing. We're going to the beach. Like, yeah. you're not going to crush two or three or four of a triple IPA, you're gonna you're gonna crush six bikini blondes, and uh, for us, isn't that like an eight percent beer? Which one, uh, bikini blonde? No, bikini blondes are uh, five point. Us uh, now four point eight. Just recently uh, lowered from five point two. Okay, uh, was it higher at pulling, some point? Pulling bikini blonde out of Texas actually, and now because uh, of the just because of the archaic laws there and having to have another three thousand dollar license just to sure. sell a beer below five point one percent. We make far more money on the savings to make a better Hellas. Mm-hmm. Which is for us always been the pursuit is does this make a better beer? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the right decision, not money. 
And that's always continually been our driving force. But so we're pulling that beer out of Texas so we can make it a better beer for us market wide. Um, but Bikini Blonde has uh, pretty much remained largely unchanged over the years. But okay. I mean, it's, it's a crushable Hellas Lager. But I thought I for it, some reason it was a higher ABV. I remember like sitting at like the poolside in Maui and drinking it and looking at the can and being like, Oh, oh no, I'm no. going to get canned messed has up. always been uh, canned has always been in that five percent range. Right. But well, we then I just drank done, enough to get me in trouble. That's yeah, all. we have done uh, Blondzilla, <laughs> which if you ever talk to my brother-in-law, he will tell you a story that he thought he was drinking Bikini Blonde, but it was a we Tom, my old brewer, and I uh, we had miscounted the bags of grain, and we ended up with like a seven percent Bach. <laughs> And uh, we called it Blondzilla. Uh-huh. And that was a beer that was so crushable that you you forgot how to feel your legs after you got up after a few. So. Cool. But, cool. But that's that's, what that's why like, you want the swim-up pools. Yeah. Totally. Ten years ago, <laughs> no one was making lager beer. And right, now yeah. look at this. I mean, I'm, I'm drinking this beautiful pills from Almanac. I had three Bierstadt lager. I mean, if you're in Denver, you must have you a have Bierstadt to. lager. Right? Yes. And so I had this low-pour pills. And I, I just – I ordered three of the same beer, which doesn't happen – today sure right? everybody's this oh what's the new beer what's the next one what's what new what's next? rare what's local yeah i'm more in the that beer is amazing i'm gonna have another one yeah but again this comes back to a generational thing where i'm gonna do that later on today and go and you know drink a couple of slow pour pills or mm-hmm. maybe supplement it with a hell's you know yep. somewhere in there but the consumers that you're speaking to these days like that's a like you're in you're in grocery stores you're in you know chain stores i mean that's that's a tough sell yeah you know for the people who show up at a bar and you know don't want to buy you know two pints of the same thing because they want to get the untapped badges yeah. and there's no you know slow and steady wins the race badge as far totally. as i'm aware of yeah. um so I so, think the, uh, you know, that it is interesting. I mean, finish your longer yeah. thought because, but but I think that that sort of fits into it because it's, it's a tough sell. And I mean, mm-hmm. even the larger players are seeing that as well, you know, and, and we're seeing it through hard seltzer. Yeah. Well, I, I think for us too, what I see is when someone wants the new beer, if we don't have the new beer, they might forget about us. But when we have the new beer, the next thing, whatever it is, they drink that and then they're like, you know what? I remember I really love Coconut Porter. I'm gonna drink. I'm gonna pick up a four pack of that while I grab this new, right now. Let's say Land of Rainbows. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you which know, is uh, what Kettle Sour Saison. Okay, beautiful beer. And then the next one. It's a Kettle be, Sour Saison. Yeah. And then the next one is a uh, is right, Maui we'll Lime Lager. Right. Uh-huh. Fantastic beer with calamansi lime. Like it's it's crushable lager. Yeah. But they're gonna be like, you know what? I I love this beer, but I remember how much I love pineapple Manawi. and so. Our limited releases actually bring them back to cores, is what we find. But how do you get the new people in? Because that because that's the that's the bigger challenge, right? It's the people who know your core beers and then who get excited, like, oh, there's something new from Maui, and I trust yeah. them because they make good beer and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's it's that growing past the thirteen percent. Is it through the seltzer? Is it through the coffee? Is it through you know, or are are those just going to be different silos that I think they're different silos. Really, um, you know, and and the reason being is like if you look at the pie of craft beer drinkers, um, it's very different than it was five minutes ago. So you have an audience that is shrinking, really, in terms of beer. So you, this pie that we all talk about, the pie is getting smaller, and the slices of that pie are getting smaller because there's so many new breweries. Yeah, um, there are a lot of twenty-one year old and up drinkers who are never 
going to beer, who are going to straight either to hard seltzer, straight to spirits, straight to wine, and bypassing beer. And I think it's incumbent upon the beer industry to try and create more opportunities to, uh, to drink beer. But I think the drinker today is finding occasion by the, they're defining an occasion by the beverage they're drinking or, or vice versa. So you're going to the beach, you don't want to be super full, you're in your bikini, your board shorts, because you know what, you're, you're into fitness because this is, it's, it's, it's a thing, it's a really uh, important. Yeah, get out of health. my head, man. So you're going to go to uh, hard seltzer because yeah. you're not going to get full, right? You're just going to, you're, you're like, cool, I can drink this all day. It tastes like La Croix and hey, and then somebody shouted a flavor as they ran by the palate. That's the hard seltzer movement. Then you have, hey, that, you know, you're going out to dinner. I'm going to start with a cocktail. Maybe I'm going to move into a killer beer with my dinner. But you might move into wine. Yeah. And this is why, like, especially in Hawaii for us, it's different than in the mainland. I don't know what I would be doing if I was a brewer in the mainland right now. But I can tell you in Hawaii, the fact that we have so many visitors from outside of Hawaii that are drinking all of these different beverages, not just one. And the audience, if you look at it, has gotten bigger because of what they're drinking. Mm -hmm. If it's getting shipped into Hawaii and we can get behind it, we should be making it. And that's why we have Maui Brewing Company is always, of course, our core. We're at our, at our hearts, a craft brewery. But if we take that same ethos and apply it to our craft cocktails under Kupu Spirits, which is our distillery, and an extension of a Maui Brewing Company brand. So we have our ready-to-drink cocktails. We're making our gin, making our whiskey. You know, that's that's its own silo in some ways. Yeah. But it has a touch point back to Maui Brewing. Then we take Maui Hard Seltzer, which is coming out now, and it just serves that audience that is looking for a White Claw, looking for a Truly, which are fantastic beverages in their own right. But you know what? They get them back at home. Yeah. So why don't we give them a local alternative? And they love that. Do they though? I mean, because that's the thing. Like people, especially when it comes to macro drinkers, are loyal to their house. They're loyal to their tribe, as it were. And you know, I, I mean, I, I spent time down the Jersey Shore this summer, and it was you know we had truly cases, and we had white claw cases, and we had all these other things, and like parts of the family were going towards specific piles, and they weren't getting out of their comfort zone it was like the the old days of like you're a bud guy you're a miller core uh, miller yeah. guy you're a Coors guy and sure. and it was fascinating to me that like you know because like i didn't care about any of this mm -hmm. but like it, is that a, is that a tough sell though as well or is it that people are on vacation and they're feeling frisky i i think that's what it is for us okay. and that's why i said i don't know what i'd be doing if i was on the mainland I think okay we'd be in so much competition on all other beverages as well that i think we wouldn't we might not be doing everything we do um, are you, you just know, keeping the seltzer on Seltzer, cocktails, coffee is all Hawaii right now. And okay. honestly, before it goes, comes to, I'm sorry, California, I love you, but you've jumped the shark. Um, we're going to go to Japan before we go to the mainland. It just makes more sense for our brand. Okay. Um, you know, it, for us, we we look at it as, as okay, we're, we're on uh, 19th and Blake, right? We're in Falling Rock. If you go to Rhino... They're going to say that Great Divide's not local because it's not Rhino. Okay. It's, what, fucking a mile? Yeah. Right? So this hyper-local sensitivity, that's what matters to people right now. It's like, it used to be local was like, oh, this beer's made in the state. Right. Now it, like, or the region or the time zone, like, yeah. That's, oh, that's west side. That's not local. You know, we're You're, now you're hitting that as well? It, you see it. Just it, on the it, beer it, side or? Absolutely. No, okay. on everything. On, on everything. everything. Anything 
local is uh, it's super sensitive. So, you know, in Hawaii, at least when people are traveling over, they, they think that, you know, of course, our islands are so small that, you know, and we're one of the most isolated group of habited islands in the world. Local is very important. So they want to experience what is from Hawaii. And so when we're making this breath of beverages from beer to hard seltzer and everything in between, um, and I guess those are technically both beer. Yeah. Um, you know, we have that. We have to we have to be making that so that the visitor who's coming over, it's the person who loves the cocktail. Grab, hey, you know what? We got a killer gin and tonic. You'll love this. And you know what, sir? You, I know you love double IPA. So here you go. We've got that. And as a business, yeah. because let's face it, this is a business. Yes. We have to be morphing. We have to be taking care of our customers. If we stay a stick in the mud and just do what you know Garrett loves to drink. How much are we going to sell and how are we going to pay the bills? Because when it comes down to it, my number one job is to make money. Yeah. And the reason that's my number one job is because I have to pay wages. I need my, my people need their health care. They need to pay their rent or their mortgage. And it's my job to make sure that they have a retirement to look forward to. I look at all of those things way more uh, heavily than I, than I look at just you know what I want to make. I have a job to serve my team. That means I have to morph with the industry. Craft beer numbers, yeah, we were growing as an industry, but let's look at what, let's look at White Claw. What was it, 470% increase last year? Yeah, I mean, the the numbers were just, they're they're bananas, they're bonkers, yeah. So why wouldn't we do that? And when I, earlier I said, if we can get behind it, will we ever make a not your, was it not your father, not your mother's? Yeah, not your father's root beer. Yeah. Sugary alcohol, not our thing. We can't get behind that. But you know what? When we started talking about hard seltzer, we it was a hard time. Our brewers, our sales manager even, who was going to sell this, yeah. was like, no, I didn't come to a brewery to, to make that or to sell that. And so I bought a bunch of different hard seltzers. I brought them to the company party that week. And I was like, hey, well, just taste them. Sales manager comes to me, Pete. You've met Pete. Yeah. Pete says, I got to tell you, when I go to the beach, I only I only drink hard seltzer now. It was like, right. okay, let's get And he knows that he minds. can sell it. He knows he can sell he can it, sell too. It. That's the other part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the feedback we've gotten on ours is, uh, I actually had to ask my team. I was like, well, we're tasting different flavors, like you know, watermelon mint versus dragon fruit versus whatever. I was like, okay, so is this one, do, do we, is the alcohol in this? And they're like, yeah, this is the finished product. I was like, I couldn't even tell there's alcohol in it. I was like, this is, fi- this is 5% La Yikes. Yikes. So, you know, I was like, okay, good. That's what the audience wants. Yeah. Is it going, am, am I going to go to a restaurant and order a pint of it? I still struggle with the fact that we're going to launch I don't, draft. I don't, I don't, I don't think you can. I, I mean, I don't, I don't see it as a pint beverage and this might just be, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in my head in that way. But like, I do think that it is one of these things where, uh, cans are a must absolutely. and it's situational as you were saying before. I, absolutely, but here's here, I want to read you this email. Okay. Um, draft targets are ever moving, but fortunately they're moving up. We've gotten a great response from the market, and we will need a, at least 6450 liters, so 27 barrels, out the gate. We were going to brew 20 barrels for cans just to test with hard Just salt. to see what it does, yeah. And as soon as we said we might do draft, this is Maui only looking for essentially 64 accounts on island that are like, can you give us a draft handle of seltzer? Because everybody's asking for it. Are you and I ever going to go get a seltzer at a bar? No. 
But I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe. I I shouldn't say no so quickly, but maybe. Right, right. That's me at 26. Fuck no. Yeah. 41, I'm like, I'm never going to say never again. I just said it, but you know what I mean? So. It's the world's change. And you you have to adapt though, right? It's the, yeah. Look at who didn't adapt. Look at who didn't, who just said, you know, we're only going to make West Coast IPAs and they're going to be malty and they're going to be piney and they're going to be earthy. Where are those breweries now? Not around. Struggling or, to keep or struggling up. struggling to come back. And like, oh, hey guys, now we're relevant. We're making a hazy. If you don't take care of your drinker, your audience, the next guy will. Right. And it's... Because we keep getting older every year. And while we might go for... Because I'm, bring, I'm drinking Blind Pig from uh, Russian, Russian River, River right yeah. now. You know, you're drinking the, the lager. I went for this because, mm-hmm. you know, it's my first beer uh, here in Denver. But it's... Uh, you know, th- this is a tougher sell to the younger generation, yeah. and if you know, and that brewery is certainly doing some amazing things and trying Absolutely. to yeah. push things forward. But that's sort of the yeah. yeah. Case in point, Almanac. I mean, when they ten I, years it's ago, amazing, they make a it's amazing to me that they make a lager, right? Now, I mean, you know? and it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, that's that's the cool thing is like you have these breweries that maybe didn't keep up a while ago uh, that are now like okay, we're going to make this because this is what our drinkers want. So even Almanac going from I remember their Berliner Weiss that I used to drink back in. Was it? Uh, God, I started with a T. Uh, te- telegraphed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. A, right. I remember the the twenty two ounce bombers drinking that at Alembic <laughs> back in San Francisco, and now here oh, they remember make a lager bombers. beer. And yeah. I'm just, but they make it in their own right. It's definitely a different lager, and it's but it's quality. Yeah. So that's one thing that as long as the breweries are. Like I said, taking our same ethos and moving forward into this this new generation of beer or other beverages, then what's wrong with that? And I think the naysayers, um, this is I love Jim Cook, I love Boston beer, but do you remember the the Ten Commandments of beer that beer shall never be in a can? Sure, I, right? he did that, and I mean, but there's also people like you know Steve Hindy who got up uh, years ago, and that was a shot at Jim. Uh, at the Craft Brewers Conference, who said, and we don't need any stinking FMBs for mm-hmm. flavored malt beverages. And now, you know, I mean, he doesn't necessarily, you know, run the day-to-day at, at, at Brooklyn anymore. He sold the company. But, like, you know, they're they're making those now. Yeah. Like, and well, they're involved in those. Beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, I mean, the new rule should be that there should be no rules. Absolutely. And and that, I think, is something that we struggle with at the Brewers Association. You know, I, I sit on You're the on the board. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's, it is a constant struggle. And how do we, our whole job is to be inclusive and to support the industry. But how do we, how do we nurture and how do we do what our job is, which is first to promote and protect the small and independent American craft brewer. And how do we do that if we tell them what they're making isn't beer? Or, or they're not allowed to make something else. Well, so. and you even just use the word, you know, small and independent brewer, which, which implies beer but like it's actually you know you know small independent you know fermenters essentially or just yeah Yeah. i mean i i all the time in hawaii i get well is maui brewing company a coffee company you know because you brew coffee right you brew beer you brew tea yeah you brew a lot of different beverages so if you if you if you apply that to the industry it's we literally could be a cold coffee company or a, a tea company and it would still be Maui Brewing. Yeah. So I think for us, that's where I, I struggle sometimes because I try to take off my Maui Brewing hat or my Maui Hard Seltzer hat <laughs> or my Kupu Spirits hat or my Island Sodas hat, which sure. is our non-alcoholic soda line. Um, 
you know, you're the, just the Mad Hatter or, just pulling yeah, exactly, all these hats off. Or my off, Origin yeah. Coffee, which is our partnership with Heather, uh, who's a roastmaster at uh, uh, Bird Rock before she came to us. Yeah, Kim's wife, of course. And uh, I take those hats off and I say, okay, well, what what does the industry really need? And I talk to my friends in the industry and I like, what are you doing? What's new? And some of my best friends in the industry, I had no idea that 40, 50, 60% of their business was FSB already. Yeah. And everybody thought this this definition change was about Sam Adams and about Boston Beer and the 50% thing. And it was like, even just sitting in the boardroom, there were people that that year they were going to pass more than 50% in FSB sure. and other beverages, not including Boston Beer. So well, they laid the groundwork for it. I mean, it, it, it's it, why it we was, set the survey up. Yeah, it was yeah. an understandable yeah. you know reason to, to, to assume that. I mean, Twisted Tea... Angry Orchard, um, truly, mm-hmm. especially, you know, these days, like they're making more, you know, they've added to yeah. their beer bottom line with, with, with Dogfish Head. And I think, you know, it's a, yeah. that's a smart thing, but like, I've never begrudged yeah. those, you know, th- those, those products because it makes them money and it keeps them employing a lot of people and, and, yeah. and keeps things going. It's this, it's this purest thing, which I've never fully understood you yeah. know like i love transparency and i love me too you know being able you know to that. say you know like okay this company makes this yeah. and you know they might not want to talk about it because they want you to focus on this but like it's yeah. still it's it's you know it's, it's, it's a, all one company i've been yeah. a fan of uh, transparency since day one i mean i mean let's face it like local beer in hawaii is an argument a lot well you had to do that because of kona yeah where's kona made yeah not hawaii Right. Generally, I mean, we make five times the amount of beer they make in the state of Hawaii. They sell ten times the amount of total volume worldwide. Right. But where's that coming from? It's not Hawaii. Right. And, and this is the Craft Brew Alliance, uh, AB kind of whatever. Yeah. Oh, that stock. <laughs> that was painful. Painful. To I don't watch. know when this is going to air, yeah. so like you know, it yeah. could have rebounded by then. But you know, yeah, it was twenty uh, like five minutes ago. It's yeah, like eight it, now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's, yeah, if you it, didn't get it, out at twenty-one. Oh yeah, right. I've I <laughs> full disclosure, I've ridden that wave. So thank you guys. Um, you know, for me, it for me, I look at it in uh, in in terms of like you know what we need to do for our company versus what others need to do for their company. I don't fault others. When any of my friends who have sold their companies to Bud, Miller, Heineken, yeah. every, I, I have friends that have literally sold to every big brewer in, in the world. Yeah. They're still my friends. Sure. Some of them have this like, oh, well, we got kicked out or woe is me. No one will talk to me or whatever. It's like, as far as on, the Brewers Association you, membership you goes. The check. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Of course. Like, you, you made your bed. And I don't have a problem with what you did. It, it might not be for me at that moment. I have had the moments where I was like, you know what? That's just that I need to pull my ripcord. I've had that. Um, my wife and I recently split up, you know, and she's the COO of the company. And, you know, she's going to be moving on. But uh, we built something amazing together. But no one will ever understand just how much building a business actually costs. It's not just the capital. It's, it's the human. It's the emotion. It's all those other things. And, um, you know, for me, I look at that as what's right for you. You do you, man. Yeah. Like, take care of you and take care of your family. And anybody who faults you for that, they're not really your friends. So, well, and they don't, they also don't understand, you know, the day to day. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there is this sort of when people meet you um, and they say, you know, like, oh, like, oh, wow, you own a brewery. Like, that must be a lot of fun. Like, it is. It must be nice. But, yeah. like, but there's, 
there are these uh, the yeah. human costs, you know, as you're saying. You know, I get that all the time of just the, you know, the like, wow, you write about beer for a living? How cool, How is, cool that? is that? And it's like, yeah. well, it is until like, you know, I'm on a deadline and I can't play with my kid or, yeah. you know, like I need to go travel again and, you know, like it's it, it's all these things that 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 impact things. Yeah. Have you thought about what Maui is when you're no longer involved? Yeah, you know, uh, more recently than ever. Um, you know, I, I think I was telling you earlier, I think this was my, we came into the cigar lounge and this is my bedroom. I, I remember when I couldn't afford a hotel room and Chris let me sleep on that couch. It actually, it looks newer. So it might be a new couch, a yeah. new old couch. Yeah, I was going to say maybe they cleaned it, but we yeah. both know that but that's not the case. But I remember sleeping case. in this yeah. room because I couldn't afford a hotel room. And uh, Melanie and I can tell you stories of uh, where we couldn't afford a mattress. And mm. we, slept on the, we slept on six towels that we would lay on the floor of our condo. Um, you know, so the, the social media world has changed since we started 15 yeah. years ago. Uh, it yeah, that wasn't necessarily it something wasn't you need to put media. out on Instagram. Exactly. Like, hey, but, look where I am today. Yeah, and at the same time, I mean, like, let's face it, what people put on Instagram is we, we post the good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, no one wants to hear the bad stuff. And you know what? That's like, oh, why are you being negative? No, I'm just being real. This yeah. is what happens. And that's a, that's a, that's an interesting um, balance that you have to have. Um, you know, as far as what Maui Brewing Company looks like without me, uh, I've thought about that a lot more. And is that employee owned? Is that um, is that or is it is it just me stepping back and letting the team who really runs the company? Let's face it, Maui Brewing Company is supported by a great C level team. Yeah, but the the Kims, the Lees, the Johns, the um, you know, the Pete's, they, they run the company. They, they do their job every day, and that's what makes Maui Burn Company what it is. It's not Garrett, it's not Melanie, it's not Russell. It's, it, we are there, like I said, in a supportive role to make sure it's there. So for me, I might be a little more humble than the average guy in that I don't know that it changes without me. You know, I think as long as there's someone there who keeps that vision alive of what Maui Brewing Company is about, authenticity, yeah, integrity, making cool shit, I don't think it really changes because it does, it's not Garrett. It's not a person. And that's, to me, what's most important that I instill in my team is that they understand that I might not always be around. Uh, and like I said, I've thought about that a lot more recently, but... Um, I've kind of dove back in to my role yeah. uh, a little bit because it's it's where I excel. It's where I find peace. Um, but peace in a crazy world sometimes. <laughs> but it's to me, it's where I what I where where can I take the company? Melanie and I, Russell, we realize that some of our roles, like we've inherited, we can only take the company so far. So we're, I think, tomorrow uh, we're posting for an actual chief operating officer. And that person we're looking for is yeah. This is woefully who, out of date for radio, but yeah, that's sure, fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and someone who uh, who can take us to the next level because we've taken it in the operations level as far as we know how to. And who is that person going to be to help me take it to the next round? And you know what? I've recognized there's going to be a point where Garrett can't take the company further forward. Right. And maybe someone else needs to be in charge to take it forward, but I can support them and keep that vision alive. So I think when you when you recognize you need to pull your ego out of what you do and do what's best for the company, a lot of things actually start looking very different. Yeah. So that's where we're at. 
So you have new titles ahead of you? Probably. Seems I like look forward it. to being like, you know, chief nothing. Like, I, <laughs> can you get, you get the good, C out good of my t- Good time, Garrett. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, remember, I remember a guy once gave me his card and it said chief aloha officer. And I was like, I get that. Like, yeah. I, totally, I can relate. Like. Um, it's something know, to strive for. Totally, you know. I look at the, that's like your uh, guys who are starting off now, looking to to grow. Like that's yeah. that's you trying now to strive for. Yeah, we did three hundred and twenty barrels in two thousand five. This year we'll do sixty plus. You know, just that, beer just or beer. total? That's okay. just beer. Yeah, total would be well beyond that. But like, you know, from and, and of course, you know, talking spirits here and leaders, or, yeah, you know, and CEs. If you look at CE volume, though, gallons of coffee. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it's just you know, how do you actually equate that? We still talk in beer volume for everything, um, but that's where. For us, it's just because we know it. But we, we, of course, when we talk to TTB, it's liters when we talk, or, or, or barrels, depending on what beverage. Um, outside the country, we're looking to grow more internationally than yeah. we're looking to grow in the mainland. And that's because we're hitting that, that I would argue, uh, archaic limit on yeah. growth, which is that 60,000 barrels and you know a, a tax rate that goes from $3.50 to... Sixteen dollars yeah. a barrel, twelve dollars and fifty cents more. Um, what's that? Six twenty-five per keg for half barrel more, just to pay the government to grow. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Now I, I'm very appreciative of the uh, craft beverage modernization and tax reform act. Sure, of course, want to keep going, but um, yeah, we we haven't heard an update on that. Uh, Washington's been busy with other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird. Yeah, weird. Yeah, I'm I'm I. If you ever if if they could track my hotel. TV watching it would be like CNN, Fox News, and back and forth. Sure. And then I and then I well I, sure because they don't put the movie titles on the bill, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tend to find <laughs> that the answer is somewhere in the middle, is what I, I always say. I think if I just if I step back and just say, oh, we're only going to make beer, we're never going to do anything else, we're going to miss sales, and this industry wasn't an industry 15 years ago. It wasn't a business. It was people who just loved beer, and that was a different world. Now, it is a business, and we have to operate as a business. And that's why we do these other things. Because you know what? People don't just drink beer anymore. I think that's a great place to leave it. Garrett, thanks so much. Absolutely. All right. Always nice to have a beer with you, brother. Uh, Same here. (laughs) Thanks so much. Aloha. That's Garrett Marrero of the Maui Brewing Company. Our conversation was recorded during the Great American Beer Festival at the Falling Rock Tap House in Denver, Colorado. Our thanks to Chris Black and his entire team for hosting us down in their cigar room. If you're ever on the island of Maui, go and visit the brewery not only to drink the beer, but to see the remarkable sustainability efforts that they've put into the entire facility. This episode was sponsored by Deschutes Brewery. Looking for a new main squeeze? Deschutes Brewery has created Fresh Haze IPA as a hazy twist on their iconic Fresh Squeezed IPA. This juice bomb explodes with orange citrus while backed by a soft malt body. Fresh Haze IPA carries both citrus and tropical fruit flavors from Mandarina, Amarillo, and Cashmere hops. You can find Deschutes Brewery beers in 32 states and two Canadian provinces. Go to deschutesbrewery.com to find their beer near you. This podcast was produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. 
subscribe at beeredge.com. Our theme music was composed by Nate Schweber. If you have questions for me, guests you'd like to hear on the show, topics you'd like discussed, you can reach out to me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com. Or you can join the conversation on social media with Twitter at John underscore Hall. Every Wednesday, we're back with a brand new episode. I'm John Hall. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Cheers.